All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Chinese Church in Christ South Valley. It's good to see you all. This is your first time here. We just want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. We are glad you are here. Um, if you are just joining us, today is the final day of a seven-week series of discipleship that we've been doing. If you have not been here at all, that's fine, because we're going to do some review and talk about what it means to be a disciple. Um, but I want to start by reading our passage today. So we've been talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus for the last couple months, and we're going to wrap all of that up by reading this uh, relatively famous passage today and to talk about what it means. So without further ado, uh, let's get into Matthew. This is chapter 16. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them and turn there and follow along. It'll also be up here on the screen. But this is Matthew 16, starting in verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you have been teaching us from your word and also just um, from the presence of your Holy Spirit, the ways you have been revealing your goodness and your love and your care into our lives. And Lord, as we have been learning about what it means to follow you, God, I, I do pray that we would have open hearts to what it means to be a follower of the God of this universe. God, this morning we want to lift up, we know if we're watching the news, we know there are just terrible, uh, unspeakable tragedies that are going on right now in the Middle East that happen um, just constantly that we might not be aware of. And God, it's all because we know we live in a very broken and fallen world. And God, we need the love of God to be present in our lives. And so for, the, for those reasons, God, and also just for how great it is, how good it is to be able to follow you and experience relationship with you day by day, moment by moment, I pray that we would have open minds and open hearts to the words of your son here in this passage this morning. So we thank you for this time. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I have a question that I'm going to ask one person to help me with this morning that I think will help. It's, a, it's a, something I came across on the internet. I don't remember where I saw it. For those of you who are on TikTok, I am not, but somehow like this video like came across my attention. I don't even remember how I saw it. But I think it's a very good lasting image for what we've been talking about with discipleship. And today, as we've read these words that are meaningful but also very challenging, I think this video is going to encapsulate a lot of it. So my guy here in the front row, Andrew, I need you to answer a question for me, okay? You are one of, if you are not, you are one of the youngest people in this room. And so I have a question for you, because this is what happened in the video. Okay, if you were presented with two like fresh, new, like brand new, out of the package Oreos, or $10,000 cash, which one would you pick? 
That's, that's, a very, like, that's a very smart way of thinking about it, right? Now, it seems like an easy question, right? If you've seen this video, it's kind of an astonishing thing, but this dad asks his son, I have no idea how old he was, but he was definitely younger than Andrew because it did not register to him that with $10,000, you could buy all the Oreos you want. But what do you think the kid chose? He chose the two Oreos, right? Andrew, at what age do you think it was that you would have taken the two Oreos over the $10,000? Three years old, okay. I can tell you from this video, this boy was much older than three years old. He was not as old, he was not in sixth grade like you are, but he was much older than three years old. Um, I can't, I can't tell what ethnicity he was, but if, you grow, if you've grown up in Asian culture, you probably know at a young age the value of money, and you would like understand $10,000 is a lot of money. I could buy like many packs of Oreos, let alone many other things, right? And so there was this choice, and it's, when you watch the video, the dad's response is kind of funny, because he's like, he's like, you realize this is $10,000, right? Like trying to get him, like push him to to choose that. I don't know what the purpose of the video was. If any of you have seen it and you know more of the background, you could come fill me in later. Um, but it was fascinating when I watched this because I was like, wow, like that's a really interesting video to post online of this young boy choosing two Oreos out of the package over $10,000. Now in this passage, if Jesus is talking about what is truly worth it when it comes to following him, I do wonder if sometimes God is up in heaven viewing like the ways that we often live our lives, I don't mean this to be like, um, I don't mean this to be like, uh, like just like, I don't know, discouraging of the ways that we live our lives. But the point is to really deeply think about what we're following and we'll get into it in the passage. But I do wonder if sometimes God is looking down. He's like, why are my beloved children choosing the two Oreos over the kingdom of heaven? right? And it's a challenging image that I think came to my mind as I was thinking about this passage. I was really grateful that this video came across, like, I still don't remember how I saw it. It must have been on someone's Instagram or whatever it might have been. But anyway, it was a fascinating video. But I think there's a lot that we can learn from watching that if we consider God's perspective about the things that we follow in our lives. So let's get into it. Um, if we think about what we've learned in this discipleship series, what we've seen is we've talked about how Jesus, after he dies on the cross, and after he is resurrected, he has risen from the dead, in the last few physical moments he has with his disciples, he gives them this calling to go and make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28. And that's how we started this series. We've talked about what it means to, as Jesus' followers, as his disciples, to learn from the Bible, from God's word. We've talked about what it means to set aside time in our days to pray the way Jesus did when he went out and prayed very early in the morning. And we've talked about how being a disciple of Jesus kind of resets what our priorities may be. And finally, last week, we talked about how being a follower of Jesus should also influence our views on wealth and what money looks like, which is a challenging thing in, in Silicon Valley. So if this is what we've been talking about for the last six, seven weeks, about what a disciple of Jesus looks like and what it means to follow Jesus, I'm sure a common question that could come up for us all the time is why? Is it worth it? Like, if we're talking about centering our lives around the kingdom of God, how do we know that it's worthwhile? And that's where I think this passage has a lot to instruct us with today. So these are our three points from the verses we just read. 
We're going to see three things in this passage. We are going to see how the act of following, like Daniel's definition for a disciple is a follower, right? The act of following is universal. But the act of sacrifice in the kingdom of God and being a follower of Jesus is essential. It is absolutely necessary to being someone who follows Jesus. And we see that in the passage. But finally, we're going to see how the choice to follow Jesus is worth it. So first, what does it mean that the act of following is universal? If we look at Matthew, the first verse we read, Matthew 16, 24, we're going to see this only in the first part of the sentence. We're not even going to get through the whole uh, sentence until the second point. But Jesus, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, if, he starts off with if. Now, middle of October, some of you just came off of uh, uh, fall break, some of you didn't, and you're jealous of those who didn't have school this week. Either way, some of us, like our brains have turned to mush because it's been a couple months of school, so let's do some grammar this morning. What part of speech is if? What is it? How would you describe the word if? Like, what kind of word is it? The word I'm looking for, because we're all still brain dead from our fall breaks, which is fine, is if is like, what, what you got, Daniel? It's a preposition. And then, man, I should, uh, I should really, I should really uh, define what I'm looking for, but I'm, it's not coming to my brain. So Daniel's been studying hard for the SAT, so he's like locked in. But the, if you start a sentence with the word if, it's usually a conditional statement, right? Okay, some of you had it, and you were just too scared to raise your hand, but that's fine. That's okay. All right, so the word if here means, like, if you make the choice to do something, then something will follow, right? And so what I think Jesus is helping us see here as he's presenting this idea to his disciples, he's saying, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, there's always a then after the if, right? And that's what we see in this passage, But I think what this one simple word that starts a conditional statement does for us is it teaches us a truth that I think we need to be aware of when it comes to discipleship and following Jesus. We might have questions about how worth it it is to follow Jesus. But the truth we absolutely all need to be aware of is that every single one of us is following something or some things in our lives. Right? Now, for the disciples, we're going to talk a lot about the disciples because they are Jesus' audience in this passage. But if the definition that we've used for a disciple is a follower, all of us follow someone or something or some things in this world. Let's give some examples of that. We make choices to follow something every day. We follow rules. We could follow people that are influential. We can follow the values of our culture. We can follow, follow value systems, a way of life. We follow many things without always being aware of it. And if that's the case, then if we're learning about the kingdom of God, then like being a follower, you have to make a choice to do that. And hopefully we can be more aware than we constantly are, where we just subconsciously go with the flow of our culture and follow many things. But hopefully we can see that following is something everyone does, and that prompts the question, like, what is worth following that we'll get to in our final point? Even for all of us who use social media in some way, the word follow has its own connotation, right? Like, oh, this person's following on Instagram, following me on Instagram. Like, that's a new phrase that we see with social media. It's like, I don't want this person to follow me on Instagram, so I'm going to block them, right? Like, uh, the word follow has this new kind of meaning uh, of how it influences our lives in the social media age, right? 
So if you use social media at all, you're following not one person, you're following many people, and therefore you're influenced in all of these ways, right? Now let's think about the disciples for a moment, because they are Jesus' primary audience in this passage. If we're in chapter 16, we have several previous chapters, double digits of previous chapters since the disciples have started to follow Jesus. So they, like all of us in this world, have made a, a, like a conscious decision that they are going to follow Jesus and learn about the kingdom of God. Now what we're going to see in some of the context later on is that they don't have a full grasp of it. That's going to come later as time goes on. But they have made a choice to follow Jesus, right? That's their choice. So if you think about our church theme for this year, who remembers what our church theme is? Let's just save time and ask Joshua. What's our church theme? Yeah, Jennifer remembers here. Joshua said something about deep water, right? But our church theme this year is to go out into deep water. And where does that come from? It comes from the beginning of Peter's discipleship journey with Jesus, where Peter has had some interactions with Jesus. He has seen Jesus do some miraculous things. But when Peter fishes all night as a professional fisherman and doesn't catch anything, when Jesus gives him some direction, he chooses to listen. He catches the most amount of fish he's ever caught. And then, like, the thing that still boggles my mind, and I've shared this with you all multiple times because I would consider myself a not very good, like, hobby fisherman, right? Like, what's happening as there's just all this miraculous, like, amount of fish just flopping on the, like, on the edge of the shore, and then when Jesus says to Peter, come and follow me, the fish have no meaning anymore, and Peter just follows Jesus. Peter is one of several disciples now who have left their families, left their professions to learn about the kingdom of God and follow Jesus and see what they are experiencing. That is a conscious choice that they made that has some, as we'll see in the second point, that has some sacrifice to it. But that was a choice they made. So we see that for the disciples. For some time now, it's, has been, it's been more than just a little bit, they have now made a conscious effort to follow Jesus around, to see what he's doing, to learn about the kingdom of God, and to try and learn from him. If, um, if I could give an example about how we make conscious or maybe sometimes subconscious choices about what or who we are followers of in our world. I've shared this with the youth group on Friday night. I haven't said it in a Sunday sermon before. But if you are aware of, I know Joseph is aware of this because he's the only one who raised his hand during a youth group. Maybe a few others are aware of this. But I would consider myself a disciple of the, YouTube, of the YouTuber, the Outdoor Chef, the Outdoor Chef. The channel is Outdoor Chef Life, right? His name is Taku. He's a former sushi, like, sushi chef that now travels the world and he catches things because he's a very skilled fisherman and and like gathers different types of food and then he shows you these like fascinating ways to like cook them and because he's a former chef he's at least from the lens of YouTube very gifted at what he's doing. Now as someone who's been deeply impacted by his YouTube videos sometimes if I have the correct ingredients, or it's like, if someone gives me, like, if someone gives me a, like, a rainbow trout, Pastor Peter's not here from Operation Dawn, but he catches fish all the time, because he's good at it. If he gives me a rainbow trout, I can think in my mind, like, oh, I remember that video. I can pull it up. I can follow the steps of what Taku did on his channel, and I can cook the fish in this way. And in general, it's turned out pretty good. 
As many of you know, like my absolute favorite food in the world is Dungeness crab, and he has quite a few different ways to cook the crab. And I've gotten to the point now where I have cooked his crab ramen so many times that I don't have to pull up the video anymore to follow the steps. I remember how long it takes to boil the soft-boiled egg. I remember how he made the broth and how he mixes it and what ingredients there are. And I have it on my Google Docs, like all the steps, but I don't have to look at that anymore because that should tell you how many times I've watched that YouTube video, right? Now, the point of me sharing this is I think all of us follow something or some things or someone in this way in our lives. I'm really just sharing about my hobbies right now up here as we're talking about this, but I think we can all relate to that, to the things that we find value in, right? And so in that sense, I have become a disciple of the outdoor chef, and the time, that's gone, the time and effort that's gone into me learning what he does is now something I can put into practice. And that's really what discipleship is when you think about it. And so hopefully from this passage, we can see that when Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, he is trying to help us to see that we all follow someone or something or some things in our lives. And the question needs to be, what is most worth it? And Jesus is trying to show that this has, this has a great connection to the kingdom of God. And so we make these choices way more than we might think. And so bigger than like our, our hobbies or the things that guide our lives, we should be asking ourselves, if we are following someone, what is the most worth it? What is the most worth it? And if we're going to say that Jesus is the one worth following, is the way we've been saying for the last seven weeks, then we need to understand all that goes into that. And that's what we see as we continue on in this passage. So we get all that just from the first sentence, not even the first complete sentence, the first part of verse 24, when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me. Now, that's the first thing. We see that the, art, the act of following, it's universal. It's something we all do. Now, the second thing we're going to see is that the act of sacrifice when it comes to following Jesus is absolutely necessary when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. And so what does Jesus say? If anyone would come after me, if we're all making these choices in some way, what does Jesus say in verse 24? Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, these are some uh, heavy words once we actually get into them. And so, but this is important. Now, before we do this, we really need to understand the context for this passage, how this conversation came to be. Because I think it helps us see the, the kind of the, um, the motivation that Jesus has in sharing this with his disciples. So if Jesus, in verse 24, it says Jesus told his disciples, why is Jesus having this conversation with the dis disciples in the first place? If we go back earlier in the chapter, this is where the conversation starts in verse 13. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, the Son of Man is a term that originated in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, and it was meant to describe the one who would be the Savior of God's people. And, it is, and so this term is something that Jesus is, it, because we have the benefit of reading the whole Bible and knowing how the story ends, we know that this term is referring to him. But as the disciples are starting to learn about that, they're, they're trying to put this together. And so he asks this question, and in verse 14, they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus says to them, but who do you say that I am? 
And this is an important question because we can go to church and we can know someone else's answer about who someone else says Jesus is. But when it comes to really experiencing the kingdom of God, the answer that matters most is our own personal answer. There may be some of you who are here today who were brought to church against your will. Your parents put you in the car and you are here because your parents brought you here. And that's fine. Like I grew up that way and I am thankful for that in hindsight, uh, even though I wasn't always thankful for that in the moment. But in the end, when it comes to matters of eternity, what someone else says about Jesus is not going to help us know the God of the universe. It's a choice that we all have to make of, of our own accord. And so Jesus asks the disciples this question, who is the son of man? And the disciples give other people's answers. Well, some say it might be John the Baptist because he baptized all these people and he talked about the kingdom of God. Um, And some might say Elijah because he was this famous prophet. And then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Which is an important question for all of us to answer personally. Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, Peter does something That has not happened yet to this point in the ministry of Jesus with his disciples. They've made a huge sacrifice in choosing to follow him. But Peter's answer is the first time that any of the disciples say something like this. What does Peter say? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, the disciples had seen Jesus do miracles. They knew there was something special about this man. They had given up their, like, their work, their families. They had given up all these things to follow him. But they were still formulating who, who he was. And this is the first time, 16 chapters into Matthew, first time one of Jesus' main like 12 disciples accurately portrays clearly who this is, that he is the Son of God. Now, what goes along with that? This is interesting because this is what happens in the flow of it. Like, Peter says something amazing. And for the sake of time, I don't have all the verses up here. But Jesus responds very favorably, at least at first. But then Jesus, now knowing that Peter has verbalized who the Son of God is, that Jesus himself is that Savior, is that Messiah, now Jesus is trying to share with the disciples what is coming for his life. And we see this in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So this is quite the transition for what happens in this relationship. Peter goes from being the first person to, like, of the disciples to accurately say and state who Jesus is, to confess that Jesus is the Messiah. And now that Jesus is saying, hey, look, in my future, I will go and die on the cross, and there is a reason for it, and there is purpose behind it. And Peter's like, no, Jesus, that doesn't sound right. Like, you're the son of God. Like, how could you possibly, like, that doesn't make sense if you are the Messiah, if you're the Savior. And what does Jesus do? Verse 23. But he turned to Peter, and he said, get behind me, Satan, For you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It's an amazing interaction that happens between Jesus Jesus and Simon Peter. Simon Peter is the first of the disciples to, from his lips, confess who Jesus is as Messiah. But then Jesus rebukes him by saying, 
if you are going to confess me as the son of God and as the Messiah, you also have to understand what my purpose is and, why, and the meaning behind it and why that's so important. And so in verse 24, if Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, Jesus is not saying that everyone's going to do it. And I think we can see that from just society and life, that many people choose not to be a follower of Jesus. We could probably say the vast majority of people choose not to be a follower of Jesus. But here, Jesus says, anyone who does has to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. We've been talking about a lot about following, and we might think, I can try to pray, I can try to read the scripture, but what does it mean that we have to take up our cross and deny ourselves? And that shows us that being a disciple, it cannot happen without some form of sacrifice in our lives. And we might think, Dan, I don't like sacrifice. Sacrifice is hard. It's painful. It's not something I want to do. And, you know, I'm with you on that as a creature of comfort. But Jesus is trying to show us that to be his followers, it involves sacrifice. It's foreshadowing for what's going to happen when Jesus takes up his own cross, gets crucified on it very painfully as he dies for the sins of this world. And so the disciples would have some understanding of what a cross was being a form of punishment at this time. We might not think about it outside of what Jesus has done on the cross, but the disciples living at that time would have some understanding of the pain that goes into the image of the cross. And if you think about it, the disciples have also experienced this, at least in the form of sacrifice. If they have left their families to follow Jesus, that is a sacrifice. It's a choice that not a lot of people would make, right? And there's a lot of things that we might have to give up in order to follow Jesus. Now, I would say in most cases, like God is not calling us to be like the disciples where we completely just ignore our families and go and follow Jesus. Part of that is because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God right now, and we live in a very different time period where, where God works in different ways through the Holy Spirit. And so, but the, the point is that we are called to be sacrificial in the same ways that a disciple of Jesus had to at this time. When we think about um, some of the ways we might experience God's presence the most from being a part of our church, it does involve sacrifice. For those of you who joined us on the Mexico mission trip this summer, um, I love the Mexico mission trip. I've gone, I can't count how many times I've gone. It's been a long time. I'm totally fine if someone else wants to lead the trip and I don't have to go because I've gone many times, but I also really enjoy it. But the reason I say I wouldn't mind if like someone else would lead the trip, Enoch's done it a few times. Part of it is I want them to have the experience and the joy of doing it. But as much as I love it, it does feel like a sacrifice for me because I don't like not sleeping in my own bed. I don't like having control over, like not having control over my own schedule or all the details that, that go along with the trip. But in the end, it's, it's totally worth it, which I think is the point of this passage. But when it comes to serving in some way and surrendering like our wants and desires to something that is greater than just ourselves, it involves sacrifice. It does, right? Um, one example, and if I could shout out our wonderful youth counselors, only one's here right now, but that's fine. Um, so, like, I have a group of, like, five brothers and sisters who are there pretty much every Friday night at, at church, right? Now, you have to understand, like, for me, this is not as much of a sacrifice because, like, 
I'm like getting older and I don't care about like going out on a Friday night and doing like all the fun things that like young adults do or whatever. But for my counselors, for a lot of them, it's a sacrifice. And like, I really appreciate it. And I think it's an amazing thing, right? But like some people who serve in youth ministry, because in a Chinese church, for some reason we've decided youth group can only be Friday nights, which I don't know why that is, but that's also maybe the most social night that there is for people who are college students or young adults, right? People might do it for a year, but then they might say, you know what, I want my Friday nights back. I need my freedom back, right? Like I've, I've done this for a year and it's been good and God's worked in these ways, but I need control over my Friday nights again, right? And so that is a sacrifice that takes place, right? If you go on the Mexico trip, it is a week of your summer, which I am learning for all you high school students. Like, it may not be like exactly what you're desiring, but to give up a week of your summer is a huge sacrifice, not just from control over your own schedules, but like all the things you guys all have to do to get into college now, which like, I don't know, I would, I, if I was your age, I don't know how I would deal with it. It's a huge sacrifice. But I share all these different examples of how maybe there's something that's outside of our normal lives that involves sacrifice of time or effort or comfort or whatever it might be that is worth it. And that's, I think, what we see Jesus talking about in this example. Um, this coming weekend, uh, we will not be here next Sunday. We will be at our church retreat. If you're not signed up and you want to join us, you can still do that. Talk to me afterwards if you want the information. But going to a retreat, which I believe God has... Many great, th great things in store for us this coming weekend at the retreat. It's a sacrifice for those of you who work full-time, 40 hours, or no one really works 40 hours in Silicon Valley. You work way more than that, right? That's, like, that's what you all are studying for in the future. Very, very long work weeks, right? It's a sacrifice because Saturday is like your only like, day where there's nothing on the schedule or you've already filled it up with like, social events because it's like, well, Dan, I got to go to church on Sunday too. It's like, that's the one day I don't have anything going on. It's a sacrifice, but I truly believe that it's going to be worth it. And so what Jesus is trying to show us, and we've seen this in past messages about discipleship, is we cannot follow Jesus, but also have our own control over every part of our schedules or our lives or our comfort. Um, we, when we talk about the idea of sin and how devastating it is in our world, in our relationships, in the bad things that happen, a lot of times we think sin is like all the grievous things against like the Ten Commandments or all of like the things that are just on the, just very obvious, like killing people, hurting people in all these different ways. We think, okay, that's the definition of sin. I think a really important definition of sin for us to learn from is not only all of those truly terrible things we see in our world. But to me, I think the best definition of sin that we can see is when we put ourselves at the center of the universe, above God, where it's like my time, my schedule, my life is mine, and God can kind of fit into the side parts here and there. I'll go to church. I'll do the things that are enjoyable. But really what it boils down to is all of the bad things that happen in our, in our world, all of the crimes that are committed, it really comes down to someone putting their values above God's. In that moment. And that's an important definition of sin that I think is at least somewhat related to this idea of following Jesus when we want to learn from him. We can't follow Jesus and also just maintain control over our own lives. We have to lay it down to follow him and follow his leading. And when you think about what Jesus did on the cross, he did that. He gave up his earthly life. He was willing to experience the pain to die on the cross. Why? 
so that he, so that he would be able to uh, just bear the brunt of our sins, that we might receive the forgiveness from our Heavenly Father. It's a, it's a sacrifice that Jesus was willing to make. When you think about the disciples in this passage, it was a sacrifice to leave their families, to follow Jesus. If any of you have watched The Chosen with us during youth group or on your own, they do a good job kind of highlighting the tension that could have come from families and marriages and for these followers of Jesus and what that could have looked like. And, but it was something that they decided to do. And then for us, if we think about how this passage might apply to us, why should we sacrifice? Like, what's the point? And that leads us to the final thing we see in this passage, that the choice to follow Jesus is worth it. We could talk about how following is a universal act. We could talk about how it involves sacrifice, because that's an important part of understanding what Jesus is saying. But look what he says in verse 25. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's a very interesting statement. What is Jesus getting at here? Whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, for the sake of following Jesus, will find it. And I think what Jesus is trying to help the disciples see is a truth that they will experience in their lives. I think they have at least a little bit already, but they will experience it more fully after Jesus dies and goes back up into heaven that when the disciples live for something that is greater than themselves, they really find, like, the meaning of life. I think we've experienced this if you've joined us on our Mexico trip, um, where we, it's it's a week where we're not sleeping in our own beds, we're not living in our own homes. Um, The way, how comfortable it is, I think, for a mission trip compared to other mission trips I've been on or have seen, I think it's like, it's actually not like the hugest sacrifice in the world, but it is different, right? And yet, when we are willing to commit ourselves to a week of getting to know people outside of our culture, helping them fix their homes, helping the church with what they need, I don't think the fun of the Mexico trip is just eating the tacos or spending a week together with our friends. I think it's far deeper than that. And that is because like, what I've been able to learn for many years of going on this trip is when you live for something bigger than yourself, you find it so worthwhile, right? By chance, right before service started, I got to hear about this from from Rick here, who just came back from a trip uh, to India, where he said the generosity of people that he met was like just mind-boggling. And we have experienced that in many ways when we've gone on our Mexico trip. The families where we might work on their homes, like... Because we come and provide the materials, they may have zero dollars saved up. Like they're depending on the ministry of YWAM who we partner with to provide the materials. They may have no money of their own. They have this house that they're living in that's very, at least by our standards, primitive and small. And just the roofs that we are fixing are often constructed of whatever materials they can find. And yet they will cook us these amazing elaborate meals And they may spend all the money that they have in order to cook that meal for us. Now that's, that's, you want to talk about sacrifice, like that's sacrifice. Like for us to go to the store and get ingredients to cook something, like that's not that huge a sacrifice because of the ways that we are very fortunate that we're, how we are provided for with the jobs that we have or the families that we come from. 
But if you spend all the money in your bank account to go and cook a meal for someone, which has happened for us on multiple occasions, that is the truest meaning of sacrifice. But when you see the family's reaction when they are serving us the food, they're in their minds, they're not, oh my gosh, like we just spent all our money. How are we going to like, you know, get by the next day? When you just see the ways they interact with us, you can tell that is not at all what they are thinking. They are so glad to be able to serve and share everything they have with someone who they've just met. Why? Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is so meaningful for them to give everything that they have to go and bless someone else. If we live in Silicon Valley, we live in a world where there's a lot of money and there's a lot of pressure to get the best grades, go to the best school, and get the right job so that we can be self-sufficient. The kingdom of God is not about self-sufficiency. It is about denying ourselves and taking up our cross and serving others. And we might think that sounds very hard, but in the 11 years that I've been a pastor, part of, me, part of what I'm saying is you just kind of have to take my word for this, that I've experienced this over and over and over again, that serving others is more important than whatever amount is in our bank accounts, whatever amount of control we have over like having a nice home or having the perfect family life, that serving others gives us the most satisfaction that we could experience. It is not always easy. It doesn't come without sacrifice. But when I think of the ultimate example of that, that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He gave everything physically, literally, of his life so that we could be forgiven of the sins that we've committed to have a relationship with the living God. And he did it gladly for us. Doesn't mean it wasn't difficult. You see the the pain that was going into it as he's praying the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus is a perfect example of what it means that it's worth it to follow him. Let's finish up with the last few verses. Verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And so Jesus, in verse 27, is trying to show that what will happen in the future is worth following him for in the present, right? Now, we understand delayed gratification to some extent, But when we think about the life of the disciples, though they are going to experience this in much fuller ways in the future, I would like to think they've already experienced it in a lot of ways at this time as well. They've seen Jesus heal people. They've seen Jesus raise a young girl from the dead. They've seen him walk on water. They know there is something very powerful and very meaningful about this man, and that's why they are willing to follow him in a way that many people would not be. They know that something is going to happen where all will be made right, and the disciples have had a glimpse of that. And I think in this room, I think many of us have had glimpses of that in our lives if we have been following Jesus for some time. But verse 28 is fascinating because look what Jesus says. He says of his disciples, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. can be a very confusing verse for us. If we think about when Jesus will come back, his second coming that has not yet happened, Like, if we're taking this literally, we might think, well, if that's what it means that, like, the Son of Man is coming back in his kingdom, then does that mean the disciples, like, some of them are still alive today? Like, physically, we know that's not possible. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. If you go and read the book of Acts, 
If you see some of the experiences that the disciples had because of their choice to follow Jesus, while they're still working it out while Jesus is with them, when Jesus dies, he resurrects and goes back up into heaven, right before that, he gives them the calling to go and make more disciples. After that, what happens? Peter preaches the first sermon in the early church in the book of Acts, and many people come to know Jesus then, and many people are filled with the Holy Spirit. From that point on, their lives look like they get to experience this over and over and over again. And I think that's what it means. Even now, we can experience what it means that Jesus has brought his kingdom into this world. And I think many of us have experienced that in small ways or maybe in big ways in our lives. But that is a wonderful picture of what it means that it is worth it to follow Jesus. And I'm thankful that I've had some of those experiences, and I think many of you have as well. And so when I think about that, if I think about the 11 years of youth ministry, where like almost, unless I'm on vacation or something or whatever it might be, almost every Friday night, like I know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be here. If you ask most people who are in my age demographic, going even like maybe even like 15 years, maybe more because I'm getting older now, but like after you've graduated from college, like Friday night being the most important night on the social calendar, it's like all these other things that our world tells us are important to go out with friends or do all these things. When I think about what we get to do together as a youth group, I could tell you there's no place I would rather be on a Friday night than doing what we get to do as the kingdom of God together, right? And so it's worth it. There's always more of that to look forward to. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to get us to see. And so for this young kid who chose the two Oreos, in that moment, he saw the immediate gratification of just taking these two like sugary cookies. It was more worth it to him than $10,000, right? I think many times when we think about what we are following, we are following things that are similarly as temporary. When God is like the dad who's like, can you just choose the kingdom of God, which is far more valuable than $10,000, though that might be challenging for us to think. Do we want to experience the riches of what it means to see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom the way that the disciples were able to experience? If we have made the choice to follow Jesus, as I've already said, we have experienced this already. And I want to speak to any of us in this room who feel like we haven't experienced that in our lives. If it's, if it isn't, if it's something where we're like, how could this be worth it? What, what does reading the Bible and praying and following Jesus, what does that actually have to mean about my satisfaction or, or my life in general? Again, I would say some of it is, You'd have to take me out my word from the years I've experienced this in following Jesus, but I don't think I'm the only one in this room who would say that. And so if this is something you have not experienced, I would encourage you to talk to someone that you know who is a follower of Jesus and to ask them, how has it been worth it to follow Jesus? I think there are a lot of people in this room who can give you a very good answer to that. It's not just based on this message here. But if that's something we haven't experienced, it challenges everything that we learn about as a society where things are about making the most amount of money, having the most amount of success. But I could tell you, in the, though it's happened by trial and error and many years of getting it wrong, I could tell you there's nothing better than living for the kingdom of God and living for something greater than yourself, following Jesus and surrendering ourselves to the kingdom of God. And I can promise you that it's worth it. Let's pray together.
God, we thank you for your word. Um, Lord, though there are many influences in our world that we follow, God, we thank you that you have given us not just this passage, but others like it, or experiences that you've, where you have revealed your presence to us, or even the example of friends in our lives who are, who are deep and committed followers of you. Lord, I pray that we could see that though there are many different paths that this world wants us to take, God, that laying our lives down at your feet and choosing to follow you is really, truly the best thing that we could do, Lord. I know that's a challenging thing for some of us to believe here this morning. And so, Lord, I just, I pray that if that's something we're having a challenge with, I I pray that we would know that it's not something you're disappointed in or something that you, uh, that you uh, are just that, like, something that, like, keeps us from experiencing your presence. I pray that we would have open minds and open hearts to see how you might be showing us the goodness of what it means to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow you. And so, Lord, I thank you for uh, these words we're able to read. I pray that it will encourage our hearts this morning. And as we sing these last few songs, Lord, I pray that it will encourage us to follow you deeply and daily. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.